The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, family. We're going to be reading Genesis 4, 1 through 7, and I'm going to read the word, and after I finish, you can say, uh, thanks be to God. Okay? All right. Beginning. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering. Some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard, regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And that is the word of God. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Story City. We, uh, at this church, your, your story matters. It matters to us, it matters to God, and so we like to share those stories, but we want to make sure to be respectful and honor your family and those and everybody else's stories that come in here, even as we share those stories and God's stories through people, and so sometimes uh, sensitive material or mature content can come up in our stories as we have lived life and lived experiences, and so we're going to share a story here in a second, but just to honor and respect everybody in the room uh, there might be some content in here that's a little bit sensitive, might bring up some hurts, uh, might even bring up some difficult conversations that you might have to have with family. And so we just want to give a space uh, that honors you, that if this, is, that, that if this might be a time that, that there's somebody in the room that you might not want to bring up that conversation with, or it's sensitive to maybe some young people in the room or anything like that, we want to give you the space that, and, and welcome you to that. You can, you, can, you can step out of the room and that's comfortable and that's okay uh, and everything. Uh, if, if there's things that are sensitive for you, this might be a time that you might want to step out, uh, and that's okay. Um, but we want to make sure to honor God in the stories. We want to share our stories with one another, uh, and we want to hear the testimonies and redemption of God through people. Amen? Amen. Let's enjoy the story. The very presence of Christians annoys you because the joy that you see in their life reminds you that you've separated yourself from the Creator. My name is John Allen Herrett. I was born in North Carolina, but lived most of my adult life in Jacksonville, Florida. I was one of four children, raised in a Christian home. I knew all the right answers. We were always in church, but it was my parents' faith and not mine. I traveled on Christian drama teams. My senior superlative was best Christian testimony. I had uh, everybody fooled but God. Several times throughout the course of my life, seeds of confusion 
of uh, robbing of innocence through exposing me to uh, pornographic materials, and then also uh, in an instance of molestation. As the son of a preacher, when I rejected God and took God out of the equation, there's no moral absolutes. So I did whatever drug I felt like and stripped for a living, making a living in college. Did the gay circuit party and club scene. That was killing me. So I cleaned myself up from gay coquette stripper to just gay business owner. And that's when I opened the dinner theater and restaurant with a business partner and tried to do things um, a little bit better, but ultimately God was nowhere there. When you are separated from God, the, the very presence of Christians annoys you because the joy that you see in their life reminds you that you've separated yourself from the Creator. I was at a point where I, I had achieved everything I thought I wanted in order to be happy, and I'd gotten it, and there was no fulfillment. Uh, my understanding of the world, my aspiration and temporal gain and perceived love was all hingent on the God of the Bible not being real. July 7th of 2007, I surrendered to the God of the Bible being real and His Word having a say in my life. I walked away from my business. I hit restart, or God hit restart. Ended up opening a Christian coffee shop in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was doing handyman work and building a house with my dad on 10 acres in North Florida, but God was calling me to be part of something bigger. And I plugged into a local church. Trey Brunson was a was a godly influence when he was called to be part of a church plant in Los Angeles. I felt uh, God calling me along with to, to help any way I could. And it was clear God had given me a, a mission and a call to go and, and help the church plant in Los Angeles called Story City Church. God started letting me work in the art department of film and television industry, and then I started singing with a gospel quartet. And then in 2019, I met my future wife, and in 2021, I got married here at Story City Church. God is faithful. He's true to his word. He's a good, good father. I never wanted to be known as an ex-sinner. I think so often we put so much impetus on who a person was before they knew Christ. The Word says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. First Corinthians says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor slanderers shall inherit the kingdom. The first thing in that list is fornicators. So it's not a matter of heterosexual or homosexual. It's do you understand that there's a thing called fornication and God says, no, when God and His Son and the law that He completes is rightfully laid out in a human's life, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It was noon in the summer uh, time of Phoenix, Arizona. And although the temperatures were reaching at, at triple digits, I did not hinder from the championship neighborhood soccer tournament between little Justin Haig and little Timmy. 
The score was two to one, and Justin was, was leading uh, the points. I already had made a few of his own and blocked a few of Timmy's. And it all came down to this one last shot. And so, so, so Timmy grabs the ball and he sets up for his goal kick. He sets the ball right on top of the lava rocks in the front yard. And as he's gauging his steps and his approach and where he's going to place the ball, Justin stands at the goal. He looks to his right, looks to his left, and sees his goal posts, two of the front yard's saguaro cactuses that are outside. And, uh, and starts to kick away the lava rocks at the feet to find the patch of dirt underneath and, and starts to, to grind into the dirt to have the best jump off the line for wherever the kick goes. Timmy begins his approach to the ball. And as his leg kick, swings back for the kick, everything freezes. One 1,000. Keep your eye on the ball, Justin. Keep your eye on the ball. Do everything that your coaches have ever told you. Keep your eye on the ball. Timmy likes to go right. He's probably going to go right. Timmy swings, kicks the ball. The ball's going right. Two 1,000. All right, it's going pretty wide right. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to jump. Jump with all that you have. Keep your eye on the ball. Jump and keep your eye on the ball. Three 1,000. It's going wide right. You're going to have to jump. You're going to have to stretch. Stretch out with everything you have. Keep your eye on the ball and stretch. Boom. Hits the ball. Champion. Yeah, I know I'm a winner. Everything's frozen in this moment. Up in the sky. I did it. I hit the ball. I'm a champion. I'm a winner. Four 1,000. Smack right into the goal post. Oh, yeah. We're playing with saguaro cactuses. Searing pain up the right side of my body. Everything hurts. And I'm not going to say in that moment I began to really cry and cry hard and that I ran home to mom and dad just for their comfort and to spend time picking out all the needles. I'm not going to say that that's what happened. But what I can say that happened was I walked away that day as the neighborhood soccer champion. I don't know why they teach us to keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. It's like the number one thing in sports, no matter what sport you play, just keep your eye on the ball. But yet this lesson is pivotal for any sport. And honestly, it's pivotal to our life. It's extremely pivotal to our spiritual life. Where our eyes are, everything else follows. Wherever our eyes are, it guides our, our, our being. Whatever we gaze upon, whatever we have our eyes set on, our heart, mind, body, and soul follows to keep our eyes on the target. And I want to show that this morning. Good morning, Story City. My name's Justin. And I'm excited to share God's word with you guys this morning. Stand before you not just as an eight-year-old soccer champion, uh, self-prescribed between me and Timmy, but I also am the director of our family ministry. And I'm really happy to be a part of this church. And this morning, I want to talk to us, talk to you about keeping our eyes on Jesus. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, first man, first woman in the garden. God created Adam and Eve. They lived in a perfect relationship with God. They, they walked with him. They spoke with him. They could hear his word. They could hear him speak to them. They were in his, his physical covering. They had perfect relationship with God. 
God told them, do, but there's one command I give you, one thing inside of, of this garden, inside of this relationship that we have, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he explains to them, because if you do that, you will surely die. Everything else, go in the garden. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of the fruit of evil and good. For if you do, you will surely die. Scripture tells us, and just as, as a reminder, as we read God's word, this isn't just God's word. This is real stories of real people, Adam and Eve, real people. And in scripture, we see their story as God is in this harmonious relationship with them. As God gives them this command and explains to them the repercussions we see in their story. Scripture tells us that as Adam and Eve were walking in the garden, Eve looked with her eyes at the fruit. And that she saw that it was pleasing to the eye. And so both Adam and Eve shared in eating of the fruit. It was in that moment that humanity knew sin for the first time. And because of that sin, humanity inherited a spiritual death. The death was both spiritual and physical. The, the, the spiritual came in, in the separation of God's will. For the first time, humanity was not walking in the will of God. And so there was this spiritual disconnect that took place. A spiritual sin that now hovered on humanity as a part of humanity. But it was also a physical death. One where God casts Adam and Eve out of the physical presence, out of the physical covering, and of the nourishment of the tree of life and his protection out of the garden. And they were physically separated from God, both spiritually and physically. And in that physical separation from his provision and covering, that they would know a physical death. This sin separated man from God. I share this for two reasons. The first is to understand that our gaze guides our attention, and it will either lead us to God or away from God. The second is to show that the issue was present at the fall of man. We will see it again with Cain and Abel, we see it throughout scripture, and we see it still to this day. So if you would, open up with me to Genesis chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, open to Genesis 4. Uh, I know we'll have it up on the screen. If you've got your phone Bibles, your Bibles, you can open it up on an app, Safari, Google, whatever you got. Genesis 4. If you're in a physical Bible, it's the first book in the Bible. Super nice and easy, right past the table of contents. It's great. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. And uh, I'm going to reread verses 1 through 7 for us to focus on. All right, Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The man, which was Adam, was intimate with his wife. They had sex. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked at the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and other fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel 
and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires for you, but you must rule over it. Here we see two brothers bringing an offering to the Lord. One of these offerings is accepted uh, and it pleases the Lord. The other offering was rejected by God. Now, when we read this, uh, we may have a lot of questions. Why did God receive one offering and why was one offering a sin? Take a look at these words here from that scripture that was regard and despondent. Regard, the Hebrew word is, is sha'ah, and it means to look at. It means where your, where your focus is, uh, what it is that you're looking at. And despondent is when you, to look away, it's to hang your head, to feel guilty, to feel shame. You can't bear to look up at an object anymore. But take a look at regard, sha'ah, to look at, to set your gaze on. Have you ever seen something that was so beautiful that you just didn't want to look away? Uh, you're, just, you're, just, you're just looking like, oh, and you just like meditate on that thing. Have you ever, ever done that? For me, for me, it's an 80s Bronco. Uh, I've wanted one since I was a child. And every time we're on the road and I'm driving with my wife, I'm like, look, 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 look. That's what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> Which is horrible because like now the Bronco's back and everyone's trying to get one. And I'm like, I'm finally at the age where I can afford one. Why are you guys driving up the prices? It's like houses. Um, <laughs> But, uh, or, or have you ever, like, I don't know, do you have one? Like, another one for me is, like, when my wife walks by, I'm like, ooh, shalala. <laughs> what, 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 like, what's for you? What's for you? You guys ever have something, you're just gazing, and you're like, oh, wow. And, you're, and, you, and you, just, you just stop, and you're just staring. That's to have regard. That's sha'ah. That is what, what Abel had with his offering to the Lord. He had regard for the Lord. And when the Lord looked upon Abel and his offering, the Lord had regard. He stopped and he looked and he said, that's beautiful. And the Lord, like, can you imagine this for a moment? Just envision this, that, that Abel has regard for God. And so he's staring. He's just, he's in awe of who God is. And then you have God looking down at the offering, looking down at Abel, being pleased with everything. And we get this, this the, we have this scene where God and man are coming eye to eye, making a connection, being in harmony with one another, being in communion with one another. And then we have Cain, whose, whose eyes were despondent, whose eyes were on the field and on the ground. Who, who did not have regard for God. God favors Abel's offering, and his eyes remain on Abel. Cain's eyes were away from the Lord. The offering did not cause God's eyes to remain. It's not because God doesn't like his veggies. It wasn't about the substance of the offering. It was about the heart that was behind it. 
It was the fact that Abel gave from a position of having his eyes on God and seeing who God was, having regard for God. And as he looked at the things that he have, he wanted to give in regard to God. Whereas Cain did not have regard. His eyes were on himself. Cain's eyes were on the ground. And so he could not give an offering with regard to the Lord. So God, God sees that Cain's upset when there was no regard for his offering. And he addresses it. Cain, why are you upset? Why are you despondent? Why are you hanging your head? Don't you know if you do right? If you love me, Cain, if you give me your heart, if you give me your focus and act from that place, then you will be accepted. You will get me. But if you do not do what's right, if you don't give me your heart, if you don't give me your focus, then sin is crouching. It's going to be ready to attack you. This is your first fill-in. Sin wants to dominate you. Sin wants to dominate you. Sin doesn't want a part of you. Sin does not want a segmented part of your life. Sin wants all of you. Sin wants to take control of your life and, and move you from one point of where you're focusing and in regard with the Lord and take you to a place where sin is dwelling and dominant over your life to where you cannot be in the presence of the Lord. That you, you cannot have part sin and part God. God wants all of you and sin wants to dominate you. And we see this as the story unfolds in verse 8. Take a look at verse 8 with me. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and Abel killed him. Cain, who gave this selfish offering with no regard to the Lord, and, the, and God told him, if you don't fix your heart, if you don't fix your eyes, sin is crouching. Cain responds with, with being despondent with his head down, not being able to face God, not trying to pursue back into correct relationship with God. Instead, he festers on his anger. He hangs his head to have his sight on anything else but the Lord. And it leads him to a place as sin was crouching to take his brother out into a field and murder him. This crouching language is used here. It's, it's to be representative of a predator that's stalking. It's to say that, that the temptation to sin is ever-present. Not sin itself. Sin is not an entity of its own. The temptation to sin is crouching. And, it's, and as soon as something lets down its guard, as a predator would pounce, as soon as the guard goes down, sin, who's crouching, wants to pounce. And because Cain's eyes were despondent and down and not on the Lord... It leads him to a place of murdering his brother. Do you see what happens when Cain sins with his offering? He gets upset and his anger takes, takes over. He hides his face and we see that sin is waiting for him. This, this passage is not talking about sin management, how to manage your sin so you don't kill your brother, how to manage your sin so that your offerings can be pleasable to the Lord. That is not what this passage is talking about. It's not trying to help us manage our sin. 
And I want to be very careful with this because it can be really easy to hear the words from God when he says, do what is right and you will be accepted. And don't do what, what is right and, 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 and sin is crouching. It's easy to hear those words and immediately think of sin management. Well, I got to do what's right in order to be accepted. But I'll remind you, that's not what this passage is about. I feel like I need to clarify this because I have seen and I have experienced too many churches and too many gospel presentations that proclaim sin management as a means to a relationship with God. It is by grace alone that we are saved. And from the very beginning, our heavenly father, from the very beginning, as we see in Cain and Abel, not just after Jesus came, not just on this side of the cross, from the very beginning, the heavenly father has been concerned with our heart and our eyes. And he wants them focused on him. If you focus on sin management, then you will begin to worship moralistic behavior. If you think that it's about sin management, if your eyes are managing your sin, then you begin to think, well, if only I could behave good enough for daddy, if only I could behave good enough for God and Jesus, then, then, then they'll love me and be proud of me. Sin management is this thought and this concept that if I just put out more good in the world than bad, then, then God will love me and I'll be able to go to heaven one day. God wants our heart. He wants our eyes. He wants our focus. Has anybody been there like me before? The temptation to just focus on sin management? Hear me when I tell you that God loves you. God loves you. Just as you are. God loves you. John 3.16 would tell us that God loves the world. That it was his love that moved him to send his son. It was love that, that moved Jesus to come from heaven, to come from the throne. Romans 5.8 would tell us that God demonstrates his love for us in this. That he would come and die for us even while we were sinners. His love was present even then. God's love wasn't, didn't become present once, once humanity got their stuff together. Oh, finally, they got, their, they got their stuff together. I love them now, and I'm going to go. For while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love in that way. God loves you. I don't know if there's anyone here that's like me, but for many years, I heard about heaven, and I had heard about this place, hell, I wanted to do whatever it took to not go to hell. Just what do I have to do? So I would say whatever prayer I had to say, however many times the church offered that prayer, I would say it. Whatever I got to do, I don't want to go to that other place. And I managed whatever sin I needed to manage just in order to secure my fire insurance. To... To, to get that insurance that would prevent me from having to go to hell, doing whatever I had to. And I began, and in that place and in that mindset, it begins to match Cain's heart and Cain's mind. Take a look at verse nine. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? 
Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Check this out, verse 13. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Look at where Cain's eyes are in the sin management. Cain was more concerned with losing God's protection and his provision to eat than he was with losing God himself. He loved the gift more than the giver. Cain's eyes were never on God and and sin was ready for him to take him fully away from his presence. So what do we do when sin is crouching? What do, you, what do we do with the fact that sin is, is, the temptation to sin is like a predator waiting for an opening? And for many of us, we struggle and we fight against that sin on a daily basis. What do we do? Leads us to our second point. You can hide your sin or repent. You can hide your sin or you can repent. Where's your gaze? Where are your eyes focused? Cain's eyes were on himself. And when he sinned, his eyes drew further and further away from God. Have you ever been in a place where your sin made you feel like you were unworthy of God? Have you ever been in a place where sin made you feel like you couldn't turn to him, that you couldn't talk to him, that church, coming to church felt uncomfortable? that for somehow everybody would see or know that I'm a sinner and I can't sit in that space. It just feels, I'm too ucky. I'm too gross to be in that space. I don't know how I can get my mind back on God. It's so perverted. I'm so far off base. God would not want me to pray. God doesn't want to hear my voice. It's probably going to bring him, him it's, going to, it's going to just be gross to him. He's not going to want to hear my voice. Has anybody ever felt that temptation or felt that way before? Okay, so at least one person has felt like me before. <laughs> it's like you get into this place where you feel so alienated from God and the enemy comes and starts to whisper in the ear, you're unworthy, you're unwanted. And that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to create separation between you and God. God. The enemy wants us away from his presence to where we can't even see him. The ultimate win of sin is to remove yourself from God's presence. Think back to Adam and Eve. Think back to their sin. It was their sin that removed them from the garden. Here in the, in the passage with Cain and Abel, we see it was Cain's desire to hide his face from God and refusal, refusal to repent that made him leave the presence of God and have to become a wanderer This is what happens when that lie from the enemy takes hold. What if I told you that your repentance is one of the things that God loves most? That your repentance is one of the things that God loves most. 
Remember that passage, those passages, John 3, 16 and Romans 5, 8, that, that God loved and so he moved? It, God's demonstration of love is there. It only gets exercised. His love of forgiveness, his love and his redeeming work, his love and his reconciling work can only be exercised if we step into repentance. That love can only be realized if we step into that love and repent. The mo- one of the most loving things that we can do in our relationship with God is to turn to him and repent and enter into his presence. What is repentance? It's literally to change one mind or to do a 180, to turn around. It's this thought process. There's this presupposition within repentance that that would say that when we sin, that sin wants to dominate us, wants to dominate our minds, and that the only thing that we can think about when we're in sin is sin itself. And so, the, so repentance is this thought pattern that if, if, if our design is to follow the will of God and then we get distracted or, we get, or our, our, the temptation of sin, the crouching sin takes our eyes off God and we begin to wander anywhere else but God, that we change our direction. Now we're living in this sin. We're getting the separation, moving away from him. Repentance is to turn around and fi- change our mind and fix our eyes back on God. And to step into the will of the Lord, into proximity, into relationship with him. To turn around and get back into his presence. There are two lives that we can live. One that pursues the kingdom, the kingdom of God and all that he desires. Or we can pursue the kingdom of literally anything else that fulfills the desires of anyone else but God. Sin is tricky. Oftentimes, sin is not just this presentation of that's gross. Obviously, that's right. Do the better choice. Oftentimes, sin is crafty, and it looks good, and it matches our desires. It matches the desires of our own heart, the things that we might want, it masks itself in there. Because how can something be wrong if it feels good? The enemy, we have these two choices. Pursue the kingdom of God and his will and his desires or pursue the kingdom of anything else. Not just this gross, but even the things that might seem good but are not the will of God. Returning, repentance is returning our gaze back to Jesus and that we get to give an offering of our sin. We get to take our sin as an offering to the Lord, present it to him, so Jesus, as, as the gospel would tell us, that Jesus would take that on the cross and put it to death. This is the opposite of what Cain did. He hid his face and he also tried to hide not just his face, but also Abel's body. Can you think of anywhere else in scripture before Cain and Abel where somebody sinned and they tried to hide it from God? Adam and Eve, Cain's parents, they ate of the fruit and they immediately hid. They hid hid their private parts with fig leaves. They saw that they were naked 
And then they, they hid in shame. They jumped into some bushes. And God's like, where are you? Where are you? Not like God couldn't see them, knowing that they were hiding, calling them into repentance. But their sin made them so shameful that they hid. Their child does the same thing and hides. So why do we repent? One of my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, uh, says, it, says this. Repentance is not what we do in order to earn forgiveness. It is what we do because we have been forgiven. It serves as an expression of gratitude than an, rather than an effort to earn forgiveness. If our repentance earned us forgiveness, that would be sin management. That would be, well, if I do this, then as long as I repent, then I'm good. No, while we are, for while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The act has already been done. The acceptance is there. The love, the grace, it's all there. We repent in gratitude for what God has already done. We turn ourselves. We can, we're, we're enabled to actually make that turn because of the grace and the finishing work of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our third point. Through grace, there is acceptance. Through grace, there is acceptance. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us, you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. I'm going to read that again. For, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is a free gift of God, not from works that no one can boast. It is not about sin management. It's about the free work of Jesus Christ. It is because of the love of God that he would come down in the form of man, endure the life of humanity, endure the pain of the cross. It's because of the love of Jesus that he would take the sin of the world, past, present, and future, and put it on himself to be sacrificed so that in his death and in his resurrection that we are no longer to be separated from the presence of God, rather that we would be accepted in his presence and in his house, that to all who turn to him become his children. That is grace. So now we live from a place of grace. Now we live from a place of acceptance. We do not have to hide from God. We do not have to be despondent. We do not have to live in shame. Rather, we can turn in the freedom of his acceptance and his grace through repentance. And in that grace, we receive him. To, and he, he gives us the invitation to anybody who wants to follow me. Jesus tells us, if you want to be a follower of me, if you want to be my apprentice, then take up your cross and follow me daily. To willingly put to death ourselves and to join him in a resurrected life that's fully focused on the Father and God. You have the choice now to live as a child of Adam or a child of Jesus. To live as a child of one who inherited shame or to live as one who inherited victory and acceptance. So I invite our church, all of us, you and me together to live a life of repentance. Every day choosing to deny ourselves and to look to Jesus. 
the moment that we feel our eyes drifting, that we would be quick to turn our eyes back to God. And we need to do that not in our isolated communities, but together in community, striving with one another, being reminded of his grace, being reminded of his acceptance, to have others encouraging us, fix your eyes, let's get our eyes together, to surround ourselves not with people who are, are helping us take our eyes off of him, but leading us to him. We must do this together. Imagine what this church could be as a, as a community, as a body of people who are consistently looking to Jesus and saying nothing else matters, less of me, more of him. Let us do that together. Lord God, would you be ours, all of you, all of you, all of us, God. Be in all, through all, and with all. Lord, we need you. Forgive us our sins. Allow us to walk in your grace and live for you. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen.